Welcome to Eyes and Teeth Legends of Laughter with Morris Grumbleweed. The Grumbleweeds TV show on a Saturday night meant it was family laughter time. There are moments I cherish and remember laughing with my siblings and my parents. I was around 9 or 10 when they were big in the light entertainment world and on constantly. Summer seasons and pantomimes and that famous Grumbleweed song we always sung along to just brought joy to the UK. My great friend Pete Cutler, who will be on a future episode, put Morris Lee and me in touch and I thoroughly enjoyed not only hearing all about those shows I grew up watching, but I loved hearing what Morris was up to now. He loves his work, it's in his blood. If it's storming a cruise ship crowd to not being listened to in a blues bar in Manchester or Liverpool, it's so true that when you have the show business bug, it never leaves you. As these are part of Steve Hewlett's lockdown projects, that are slightly overspilled into post-lockdown, I'm still keeping the essence of the performers at home, hence the not 100% clear phone call. But that's the reality of it. Every episode is different, and that includes sound quality. Sadly, it took us some time to get it the way it was, so better to have a recording at all rather than none. Welcome to Season 11, Episode 7, Morris Grumbleweed. At the moment, I'm doing... Uh... Every Wednesday. Yeah, uh, it's a strange one because I was passing it one day uh, with my wife and uh, there was a band on and there were lots of people outside. Okay. And I said uh, to someone on the door, you know, how do you get a gig? And somebody says, you get hold of Simon. So I rang Simon, uh, well, I emailed him and he said, oh, well, funnily enough, there's a guy called Paul Middleton who's been uh, resident here for 25 years. And he's lost his mojo, he said, so do you want to do next Wednesday? All right. So I said, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll do that. And uh, I went in with tracks and things, and it was a strange situation because I didn't quite, I could sense that the room wasn't warming towards me. So it's 2.45, so I did my 45. And then I went outside in between the two spots, and the guy says, we don't use tracks here. It's just live, you know, you just play acoustically. I said, oh, right, well, I've, I've, I've been, you know, preparing these tracks for it. He never told me that, the owner. So wow. this guy said, well, why don't you go on in the second spot and just play guitar, which I did, and harmonica and stuff, and, and, it, and it worked. So following the week, uh, I was invited over to go meet Simon and... and uh, there was a guy playing the blues on who was amazing, absolutely. And I said, I said that this probably isn't the right room for me, Simon. He says, why? I said, well, you know, this guy's amazing and I'm, I'm doing like gags and... He says, no, I like what you do. So do you want to do next Wednesday? So I said, yeah, all right. So I put 245s together acoustically with harmonica. And then all of a sudden uh, he put eight gigs in. Oh, amazing. Wow. That's what I've been doing every Wednesday. Oh, that's brilliant. It's so nice to work live, isn't it? And get back out there and, and sort of do what you love to do. So is blues music your thing, Morris? Do you love the blues? No, uh, it, it's not exactly my thing, no. Okay. Uh, what's happened is, uh, you know, like, uh, I got off a ship 18 months ago. I, I jumped ship in Gibraltar and uh, then it all kicked off and yes. the lockdown and all that and over the last 18 months i've just been sort of playing stuff that i like and so what i do is i get 
some of the songs that I've been playing since 1965, and I give it, I give it my feel, if you know what I mean. In other words, I give it a kind of a. I don't try and copy a BG or a John Lennon. I just play it with a bit of soul, a bit of feel, and and it's working my way, you know. And that's what I've been doing the last uh, seven or eight, seven weeks at the Blues Bar. I incorporate it with. So, you know, with gags, so I'll be playing a song and then I'll keep the guitar going and I'll, I'll do a little story about what happened in 1965 when I played with the Yardbirds at uh, Leeds University. Oh, amazing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's so good to put yourself into your music, isn't it? And and it's your passion, so you can really relay that to the audience. And adding gags to yeah. it is, is a nice way of sort of breaking the ice with the audience, with the jokes. Yeah, it is. And I do a little ditches as well, you know, which I've written about various little things, like about my granddad, or I saw a fella crying, and I said, you're all right, mate. And I sing a little song about him losing his granddad, you know, and, and, and but it's got a punchline. So they're never more than a, a verse and a chorus, and that's it. But it, it's done in a kind of, uh, on, you know, spur of the moment situation. The first wife and I were both depressed. We decided to end our lives together. At the flip of a coin, she went first. Then I suddenly felt a lot better. You know, that <laughs> <kind> of... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That's brilliant. But, uh, straight into a song. Breaking it up. I've I've been on your website recently, so I've yeah I've downloaded a couple of things and ordered. And I owe you a book, don't I? Uh, I ordered something uh, yesterday. You must have seen that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be sending that to you today. Oh, bless you. I look forward yeah. to reading that. I should have done it in a different order. I like read that first and then called you. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't know what you were talking about. Then. I've been a fan of yours since the 80s. And obviously, I'd like to know a little bit about how you started. So was your family in the business? Or was it a matter of hanging out with friends and joining a band? How did you start? Yeah, we, we were in a coffee bar, uh, Graham and I. Graham, uh, I went to school with. Um, Graham we Walker. In a coffee bar in yeah. Leeds, the Del, Del Monaco. Uh, and Robin came in, uh, he worked at the Capitol Cinema around the corner as a projectionist and he, he said, I'm starting a band, uh, do you want to be in it? I said, yeah, that sounds good, who's in it? He says, well, if you join, it's me and you, <laughs> you know, and uh, that was in 1962. Yeah, and uh, we st we kicked off, um, the f one of the biggest things we did at the, at the beginning was in 1963, we did the Yorkshire Post. Battle of the Bands competition. There was 80 bands from Yorkshire playing at the Queen's Hall in Leeds. Blimey. And uh, Ronnie Hilton, a, a singer of some repute in yes. those days, was one of the judges. And we came third out of 80 bands. And we only knew three songs. <laughs> Johnny Be Good, Pipeline, and uh, a self-penned one by Carl uh, called Rumbleweed. So if they'd have said sing another song, we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> We came third, the, the, the Dawnbreakers won, the Astros came second, and we came joint third with the Killians. Yeah, so uh, that was the sort of start. 
things, you know. And then by 65, we were playing in Hamburg on the Reeperbahn, doing an hour on and an hour off from seven at night till seven in the morning. You know, incredible uh, situation. We were on with a band called the Chicago's. So when the light came on, uh, they went off and we went on. And that, we did that every night for a month. <laughs> That's brilliant. And around the sixties, that era of the Beatles were out there playing as well at Hamburg, and so you must yeah, have all the, all the Liverpool bands were all there. You know, that's where you went. We weren't from Liverpool, admittedly, but everybody that was anybody in the, in the group situation, you know, went to the top ten. We did. The, it was either the top ten club or the Star Club, and we were at the top ten club. And we followed the Beatles in there. So if, if you did anything Beatley, you know, the, the crowd just loved it. So, right. you know, we, we were doing covers mainly and uh, just doing what we thought was a great idea at the time. And um, it was memorable, to say the least. And coming home, the van broke down and then all the equipment. This is, this is great, this is. The van broke down, we had to leave it on the autobahn. And we got back home to Blighty and uh, we all had to basically go back to what we were doing beforehand. So two of the boys went to work back at the switch gear at the factory in Leeds. Robbie was doing his jukeboxes again and, and, and I was helping my uncle out with some building work. Really? Anyway, about four months later, the, switch, the office switch gear, one of the lorry drivers said to Carl, uh, we're going to Hamburg with a big load and we're coming back empty-handed. Do you want us to have a look for your van? <laughs> so we said, well, yeah. Well, they brought the van back from Hamburg. <laughs> Hamburg that had been parked on the motorway since, you know, four months. It's still and there. Everything was still there. Vox amplifiers, three guitars, little suits in suitcases, drums. <laughs> and it hadn't even been tampered with. The wheels were... It wouldn't have lasted 10 minutes now, would it? Not in Liverpool, it wouldn't have, no. <laughs> but it lasted three months. Wow. On the autobahn. That's brilliant. So we, uh, we got the equipment back and we started knocking about with the comedy and stuff and doing impressions and uh, doing all the clubs and pubs around the Leeds, Bradford area. And uh, that, you know, sort of progressed until 1967 when we went on Opportunity Knox. Eyes and teeth. Brilliant. That's a great lead up, isn't it? I mean, did you think that you were going to be in a serious uh, band or did you ever think that you'd be in a comedy supergroup that was going to be a huge success? We never took anything very seriously. No. When we did the Queen's Art competition, we, we prayed to a, a, a flower in a little plant pot before the gig <laughs> on stage. And... Robin had like little flowers coming out of his glasses and we, we, we just didn't, we, we created sort of some attention around the front of the stage and I think it was that that kind of got us through the, the difference between us and Dane and the Blue Diamonds or whoever yes. was playing Apache, you know, yeah, yeah. the shadows. <laughs> In other words, it was something that was slightly different. and. When we, when the equipment wasn't, you know, when we didn't have our own equipment over here, we borrowed some and started doing working men's clubs and things. And Robin and Graham were very good at doing impressions. And when you put that with the musical side of things, which uh, the rest of us were involved in, like Albert could sing like Elvis, and you know, the, the whole thing began to take a, the kind of 
comedy structure. Okay, and yes. The comedy was a vehicle. The music was the the, the main impetus, but the comedy was the uh, obvious uh, attraction to the crowd. Definitely. So it stood out quite big time. And when you went on Opportunity Knocks, I mean, that's that was your first big break, wasn't it? And so it must have really, you know, spread your work around the country. And so, so how was Opportunity Knocks for you, Morris? <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, I can tell you it was, it was Minor Hall and Bill Dixon singing the Girls were made to love and kiss. <laughs> singing the picture. There was last week's winner, which was Yvonne Marsh. Right. There was a fella playing a banjo with green teeth. Um, <laughs> well, he had a plexum as well. There was a there was a woman doing farmyard impressions like uh. this. Get off that tractor! <laughs> uh, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, an army display team chucking each other about, and we came last. <laughs> wow! Yeah, uh, it, it just it was you know we sang "Mama" by. Uh, uh, I think it was originally by, uh, I think, uh, well, it's either Joseph Locke or one of the great, one of the great singers from years ago. And uh, we came up, but it opened a few doors, it closed a few doors. But I remember turning up at this club in West Orton and, and we were built up as opportunity not winners, grumbling. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, I was standing at the bar with this guy and he says, uh, how many times did you win then? I said, oh, I forget now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but eventually that billing was dropped and forgotten about and we just started to stand out as the drum of wheat. And the cabaret circuit was massive in those days. You could work, you know, 52 weeks of the year. You'd do a week in Liverpool, a week in Manchester, a week in Newcastle, a week in Birmingham, a week in Leicester. And all the cabaret rooms, uh, we used to do like 14 shows a week over the Pennines before the M62. And you'd do uh, the Broadway Club at Failsworth and you'd double it with Bernard Manning's Embassy Club. Yes. So you'd be on at 9 at 1 and 11 at the other. And then straight back home over the Pennines and then back out and do it again the following night. And you'd do that, well, for years basically. So. For about 10 years, we were in the cabaret, the circuit. It just kept you going. You were just working constantly. And the act got tighter and tighter and slicker. And there was no air in there at all. You know, it was all about, you know, timing. The, the, the whole thing had to build from a, a, you know, a gentle opening to, to a big crescendo. So oh, that's brilliant. That's what we thrived on, really. We were like like the, a Roman legion jumping all over the country. And that variety club was the local club to us, which was a biggie that booked people like Louis Armstrong and and uh, Roy Orbison and, and the Grumblewitz played there loads and loads of times. And a guy called Mike Craig used to come in and he was the producer of the radio uh, series, which we he did a pilot with us. And um, we eventually got a, a radio series, which he wrote just every word of it. And uh, that ran for 17 years on Radio 2. Oh, that's amazing. I spent five weeks with Mike Craig on a cruise ship, and we had such a great time. He was a great writer, wasn't he? Really good writer. He was a great writer, definitely. He, he lived and breathed, you know, for, for the scripts, the, the spoken words. The delivery, the timing, he had that old-fashioned 
goony sort of style and flavour to everything he did. And uh, yeah, he, was, he won awards as well. And eventually, Johnny Amp at Granada picked that up in in uh, '83 and ran with it, called the Grumbleweeds Radio Show. Right. Uh, and the first series was called the Grumbleweeds Radio Show, and then they dropped the radio part. And we did five years on Saturday Night TV uh, called The Grumbleweeds. And that ran, uh, we did 43 weeks in, in all of that kind of... Uh, yes, that's yeah, amazing. We were kind of the Anton Deck of, of the 80s. The Saturday night was what I remember, Morris. I used to sit down with my family. We were big variety fans, you know. And when people say, what do you remember watching when you grew up? I start with the Grumbleweeds, and then I talk about, you know, Les Dennis and Russ Abbott. But your your show was just incredible. And I used to think you was one of the Bee Gees at the time, you know. I always got you mixed up with Barry. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you still got a great head of hair. One of my lines in the show, I say, um, you know, the agents say, what do you look like these days? These days, Morris. So I say, sort of a cross between Richard Branson, Noel Edmund, <laughs> a Bee Gee, and a rat looking to a lavatory brush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, conversational! Oh, bless you. There's a bit of resemblance there, and I do a bit of Lennon and a bit of PG. But I, now on the blues bar, I can sing Strawberry Fields without doing an impression of John Lennon. In other words, I can just sing the song, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, so I'd love to come and see you. Yeah. It takes a different flavour. Yeah. It, you realise how how bloody good the song was in the first place. Of course. And when you when you drop the Lennon bits when you try and do like that, you know. And <laughs> when you lose the scouse part of it and start to sing it as a song with a bit of feel, it's pretty cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'm gonna have to plan a trip up there to come and see you at that blues club. It it just sounds brilliant to see you back oh, it out can be, it can be hell i'll tell you uh, yeah a couple of weeks um it was fine i had uh, some good crowds but the last few weeks i've attracted pond life <laughs> <laughs> really unbelievable last week i had a table of um, um i don't know what nationality they were but they were down in shots and basically arguing and and just it was it was like working in dodge city oh wow you know, so that, you know, it was like, when it been a pub, basically, it's called a blues bar, but anybody can just walk in. So whatever comes in the bar, you know, you you're, you can start talking. And you're not the centre of attention. Oh, wow. You, you just have to work the room. And if you're doing gags and things, you think, well, I'll forget them now because nobody's listening. Yeah. But you knock uh, House of the Rising Sun out. And all of a sudden, you get a bit of attention for five minutes. But I've learned so much from it, you know. I mean, it's either I, I, I treat it as a challenge and, and, and embrace it and say, well, you know, I've done most other things. I've never done this. So I started off in Hamburg in 1965, <laughs> playing to the back of somebody's head, so I'll do it again for a while. <laughs> oh, bless you. The experience is there, isn't it? And, you know, you wrote some good songs as well back then, uh, In a Technicolor Dream, an album, uh, comedy from your Radio 2 series. There's quite a lot of albums you made. And what have I got in my pocket? <laughs> There's quite a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, let the good times roll. Some unusual stuff over the years, we, we never cracked it as a hit 
you know, like the Baron Knights did well with Call Up the Groups and, yes. and uh, you know, that kind of thing. We were kind of, you know, we were definitely more variety. The, the comedy was the bigger thing and it was, it was very difficult to capture that and get a hit with it. We were very close once with Come On Down to the Bread Shop. Okay. <laughs> which, which was a kind of a Joe Gladwin. Remember that guy that used to do the, the, the voiceover? For all this, yes, where I went, that fellow that used to yeah. talk in a guttural style. Robin used to do an amazing impression of him, <laughs> and uh, it, it nearly did it. But uh, you know, it just wasn't anything that we'd done wrong. It just wasn't timed right at the time. Yeah, I see. But, uh, you know, it, it never held us back because the radio and TV took us forward, and the summer shows in Blackpool for themselves uh, you know we at the Grand Theatre in Blackpool in the 90s we had the the biggest turnover that they'd ever had in wow. Grand Theatre we did years of uh, from the South Korea in 1972 and 73 to the North Pier in 81 with Frank Carton bless him and uh, then it was down to uh, to uh, Bournemouth and Yarmouth at the um, Royalty Theatre uh, for Peter Jay. Uh, yes. And also, uh, the, um, we did a stint at the Palladium. Um, in, I remember doing, we were doing the Circus Tavern at Pursley. Okay. At uh, midnight. And, uh, and uh, we were also doing 6.10 and 8.40 at the Palladium. Wow. That's <laughs> so unbelievable. For two weeks we did it. And... We're then going Robin's S-type jack and shot through the east end of London <laughs> and ju jumped on stage at midnight to do the circus tavern. <laughs> wow, that's literally rock and roll, isn't it? Rock and roll years. Incredibly busy, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, um, you, you play guitar, drums, and you do vocals as well, Morris. Do you still do that? you still tampering the drums or just guitar? Uh, no, I've, I've never been a, a drummer, really. I only drummed a couple of songs. Okay. In the band, because everybody had to play the drums. Yes. Because at, at one point, you know, you just have to move, rotate around to whoever was doing what in the band. So if if Robin, who was the drummer, was doing Rod Stewart, then I would be on the drums. Okay, so you took turns because <laughs> so of the sketches. It, it only just to kick a, a drum beat out. I'm not a drummer by any means. Yeah. But the guitar has been uh, my passion. Uh, well, since I was nine years old, and now I'm, you know, just playing the guitar with the harmonica and getting into the groove of, if you're not that dexterous and you're not playing lead, you just need to find the right chords sure. that leaves the, the, the lead, it's a little bit less is more. Yes. But you get more of a feel, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do love a singer-songwriter. I love a live guitar, and uh, harmonica yeah. is one of my favourite instruments. You know, you've got John Lennon and Stevie Wonder, played, uh, yeah. and now Morris Lee. Well, it's, it's a little bit more Neil Young, if you know what I mean. Oh, lovely. Yeah, that's a great sound. Yeah. It's a bit more like that. And uh, if, if you just adapt, you know, like I, I do actually do hoochie-coochie, man. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you get the right balance in the room, I've got a guy that does my sound. And it, if I've got a good monitor and I've got a good sound for me, 
it doesn't really matter what's going on in the room because I'm in my own world. Sure. You know, I've just done 20 years on cruise ships and you know how, how definite that is. It, it's yes. 8.30, you're on, you know, uh, till, you know, you're doing 50 minutes. Yeah. Then you've got an hour off and then you do another 50 minutes. And it's, you tailor your show to an audience that have saved up and it's such a big, important issue that you nail that gig. Yeah. You don't want to just go down okay. You want, you want to absolutely take the roof off. It's amazing, isn't need, it? Yeah. You need to own the ship, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, they're beautiful venues uh, on cruise ships, but you've also got a packed room twice nightly. And when you go on there, the night is about you. And so, you know, you've got the contrast, haven't you? Being at home doing the bars in Leeds or Liverpool, or you could be on a cruise ship like you have been for 20 years and, and storm yeah. it. And the night is yours. Morris Lee is on the front of the door and they're coming in to see you and they want to watch. It's always Morris Grumblewood. It's never Morris Lee. Okay, it's, okay. Uh, yeah, and it, it's a... I do a, a question and answer as well. In the, so I do my first two shows 8.30, 10.30 and then the following day uh, in the afternoon about 4 o'clock I usually do a question and answer. Oh, fantastic. And, yeah, with the cruise director so I'm interviewed like you are now and then there's a roving mic and I do that and then I go back on the following night and do another 2.45s of obviously different material. Yes. And then, then wherever I am in the world I get off the following day and fly home. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I've been, I've been as far as Australia. I flew, in fact, the last one I did, I flew to Australia. I did those five shows which I've just mentioned and flew home. Wow. In a week. Oh, you're joking. Yeah, I, I need two weeks to get over the Australian trip because I've done that on a yeah. cruise and you've been you out there. Yeah, yeah, I've done 20 years on the ships, Morris, and it is it can be an incredible experience. I've got photo albums full up of being around the world, and you're so blessed with, you know, great food, great company, and it's always nice yeah. to join. Sometimes you don't want to leave well, that ship. I met, I met Peter Cutler there, you know, and he put me, he's a fellow yours, isn't he? Yes, I love Pete. Pete's, we've had a couple of great cruises on Cunard and, yeah. and uh, I you know. him yesterday. Oh, did you? He's a great character, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he's, uh, he's married now, you know. I know, yes, yeah, bless him. Just got married recently. Yeah, he's a good man. He's a very funny man, you know, and a great entertainer. You must have worked with him and seen his oh, show. Yeah, we had uh, three good weeks on, uh, on uh, uh, one was at Oriana and two on Aurora. Oh, nice and ships. They were, they were superb, you know. <clears throat> when you get someone that you can just connect with and you're, you're away from home and... You, you just bond, don't you? Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. And we, we did bond because we had something in common where I used to be an usher at the London Palladium. So I'd worked there like you did, but not, not on stage. <laughs> so, uh, But Pete Cutler used to work there as well. And we knew all the same people in the mid-90s. And so we were talking on the cruise ship and then we got on. We both watched each other's shows, hung out. And, and we'd done a couple of shows together, you know, a couple of ships. So I was so pleased when he could put me in touch with yourself because uh, we, your name came up, you see, so... He's a cool guy and uh, we've, uh, we've bonded quite well over the last couple of years. Even over the last 18 months, really, we've, it's the nearest thing I've got to entertainment, Peter Peter. <laughs> yes, oh, bless. During, during that 
lockdown, you know, because we would speak on a regular basis. Yeah. And I do a bit of painting as well, and I've sent him some pictures and things. And, you know, oh, that's amazing. Like, yeah, it's one thing that the cruise ships bring you, isn't it, Morris? You get that time to yourself. And I've seen your paintings. They're incredible because you, you really depict where you are in the world. And... And it really took me back to doing my cruises in Venice, Barcelona, Antigua, Croatia, Norway. I love your artwork. It's so nice you could sit there. Well, it, it really helped me in, in many ways because, you know, uh, a lot of the time I'd be on my own. Yes. And the last, the last thing you want to do is, you know, you, you just need something to keep your, your mind focused. Cause, of course. You know, it, it can, well, as you know, it, it can be a lonely place, but when you... When you've got your guitar in your cabin and you've got your paints and your sketchbook, I was never alone, really. My wife came with me quite a lot, but when she couldn't come, that was the perfect thing for me. So I used to yes. just take my stuff, wander off into St. John's in, in, you know, in the Caribbean and yes. get myself sat down and do a, a watercolour. And sometimes, um, depending on which ship it was, I'd finish my show and then the screen had come up behind me and I'd bring the picture up and I'd say, right, this is what I did today. Oh, uh, wow. And if anybody's interested in that, um, we'll, we'll start the bidding and <laughs> then the cruise directors take me off and then he'd get the bidding going and then we used to put the money towards crew welfare. Oh. Or Macmillan's or whatever it was. And yes. I used to get four or five hundred quid for a picture. Oh, bless you, mate. That's incredible to do that. You know, but it's something yeah. that you love to do as well. Yeah, and I did that quite a lot of times. And uh, many a time I'd be just sat on the deck and there'd be a guy asleep opposite me and <laughs> I'd do a picture of him asleep and then just stick it to his phone. <laughs> 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 so he'd wake up with some of the pictures stuck on his phone and he'd himself asleep. Nobody knew it was uh, me that did it. <laughs> Photograph from 200 years ago. I love that. <laughs> Yes. And I, I had a year's work in my book that, that I've never never got back yet. But oh. P&O and Morella were my main suppliers, but P&O said, you know, uh, next year it'll start start up again. But whether I will go for that now, <clears throat> I'm not so sure, just purely simply because of the, the danger involved. And I've spent so much time at home, you know, I've been been away all my life really we've been married 53 years oh wow congratulations and, uh, if, you, if you put all the time uh, i was with the weeds and all the time i've been on the ships we've known each other three and a half weeks <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously uh, Albert and Carl left the group in 87 and then you left in 1998 is that right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and so uh, and I did get to work with Graham Walker, bless him. Uh, probably about two years before we lost Graham in two thousand thirteen, we 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 done one one charity show for the Water Rats. He, he was great. He, he said, "Let's go to the pub." I've only just met him once, you know. We let's go to the pub. We was in Hunstanton at the Princess Theatre. We sat down. We had a lovely little chat for an hour in between rehearsals and had a little pint. And and he said to me, he said, oh, Steve, I like your tie. It was a really bright coloured tie. I think it had the Muppets on it. And uh, when he was on stage, I had to leave to drive south. But I, I took my tie off. I rolled it up and put it in his suit bag. <laughs> and, so, and I had a phone call a couple of days later and he thanked me for the tie. But it was so nice to work with him. He was a 
funny guy. He's grey, wasn't he? So on and yeah. off, I hear. Well, yeah, of, of all the people uh, that, that are involved in comedy, you know, the ones that are incredibly memorable are the naturally funny people. Yes. I mean, Graham didn't have to do or say anything. He'd get a laugh, you know. It's in the face. Uh, you know, a lot of people, like myself included, it, I, I don't look that funny, you know, so <laughs> to get a laugh is a lot harder. <laughs> yes. So, you you know, you, you do it with the spoken word or your style and how you write the material. So he, he had the advantage and I was his, Great man for the whole time that I was in the Leeds. Yeah. I was with the Leeds 40 years. So, wow. you know, all the lines that I delivered to him on a nightly basis, <laughs> you know, he, he always made me laugh. You know, he was just a funny guy. Oh, that's and lovely. Ages, I, I met him when I was nine. Really? Went to the same school. Oh. And uh, so he's it's, it's definitely my oldest friend, without a doubt. Oh, bless him. He's uh, sad loss. Uh, I, I did as much as I could with the weeds, and I felt that we were sort of spiralling back down to where we started. Sure. In other words, I've done everything I wanted to do, so I gave them two years' notice, and uh, me and my wife, we drove up to the Yorkshire Dales and uh, sort of came out of the business for a period, and I had a, a little art shop in uh, in halls in Wensleydale. Oh, nice. And I, paint, I painted for, uh, well, I painted everything really that moved. <laughs> <laughs> or did move. Uh, and then one day I'm in the shop and a guy comes in and I'd shaved my beard off and cut my hair. Oh. And I wanted to make it as an artist, not as yes. not on the back of a grumbleweed. Ah, I see. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And uh, this guy recognised my voice. He said, that's Morris in it. I said, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here? I said, well, what does it look like? I'm painting. He said, oh, you don't want to be doing that. You want to get on the ships. That's what it is. I said, doing what? He says, well, doing what you do. I said, no, no, I'm okay, mate. I'm... He says, get yourself 245s and get yourself on the ship. He said, I'll ring you in a month. <laughs> well, from then on, I couldn't write, I couldn't draw, I couldn't think straight. Anyway, I put something together. But before I've actually got that far, what I did is I thought, well, I'll go on the ships, but I'll go on as an artist. So I did some paintings and I went down and I met Anne Vansfer, who was the, the piano. Pino, okay. I got the job as the on-board artist. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, and then I went home and then I thought about it and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be on a ship and a comic's going to come on and I'm going to go and watch the comic and I want to be the comic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they, they rang up and said, right, can you go to Antigua? You're on for three weeks. Nice. And I said, I can't do it. I said, what do you mean you can't do it? You've got the job. I said, I don't want it. Why not? I said, I want to be... I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll paint the pictures and I'll do the comic. He said, no, you can't do both. So I said, okay, I'm out. So wow. I passed. Okay. And then three months after that, I get a phone call. Can you go to Antigua? I said, I told you, I don't want to be the... No, as the comedian. Well, I didn't even have a bloody act. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, yeah, sure, yeah, I've got 245. <laughs> oh, wow. So I knocked it together and uh, I went out, basically did okay, and uh, it never stopped from then on.
it was always going to be in you, wasn't it, Morris? You've got, you know, the show business is in your blood and coming back to it. Did you enjoy that transition? Because it couldn't have been easy having to bounce off, you know, Graham for all those years. And then you realise it's just you up there. Was you okay with that? Well, you've you read the nail on the head. I mean, I have to say, it, it, I did, before I got onto the ship, um, I'd done a lot of the uh, Butlins hotels. Yes. Tony Piers in Scarborough. Okay. And, you know, they were in Landudno, in Brighton, in Rill, in Blackpool, in Scarborough. Yes. And I did them every night of the week um, for a year <laughs> to kind of get my voice working, get my timing back up, get confident in what I was doing, you know, learn how to structure my show. Then I started to do the Thompson Gold Hotels where you, you drive out and do four gigs, drive around the Beaver or Tenerife or, or um, Mallorca. Yeah. Four gigs. Yeah, I love those. And then you, 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 you've probably done them yourselves and, uh, you know, you get back and then you go again. And then I went on to Thompson Ships and uh, I got them sort of nailed. And then I went on to the, the bigger ships and eventually... I got to the point where I was quite, you know, uh, I stood up in my own right yeah, at yes. Moyes and walked out with the confidence of, you know, the book stops with me, so I've got to be good. Oh, um, and I, I tailored the show. And I have to admit, the political correctness thing, when I was trying to be politically correct, say, 10 years ago, I was doing down okay. I was getting lost. I was getting... But I didn't take the roof off. Sure. As soon as I said, well, forget that. As soon as I stopped using the band and worrying about the balance and the timing, etc., and I started just being myself, yeah. I then jumped from 4 out of 10 to 10 out of 10. Do you know what I mean? Oh, bless you, yeah. yeah. It, it, it made a big difference. That I, I, was, I stopped worrying about who I was going to offend. <laughs> yes. You know, if, if, you, if, you, if you can sort of carry that with you, it's almost like you're, you're frightened to say something. No, of course. And, you know, so I lost that fear and I said, right, I'm going for it. And that's when I started to get big impact. And that's when the diary filled up, doing, you know, 30 ships a year so, or even more. Oh, that's brilliant. Which, so, is a lot, which is a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's an incredible amount, yes. I mean, Morris is back. It's so great. It was so nice to hear that you were back out there doing it. And, and I heard your name on the circuit. And I thought, oh, this you know, it's really nice to hear. And and I've been dying to get you on the show. I really, really enjoyed this today. You've recorded a new album or you've got another album coming out. What's the inspiration for your, your songs that you write? Well, um, I've met a guy called uh, Hugh Fowler and... Uh, he, he can more or less read my musical mind. Yes. And I, I come up with the, the bones of a song, and then I say, what we need here is a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of the other. And he, he can just lay his hands to it. He's, he's technically superb. He's also creative. And if, if you've heard, did you listen to any of the album? I've I've not yet, Morris, but I'm I'm downloading it and it, I'm going to listen to it on the way to my gig tomorrow. So I'm really looking forward okay. to it. Well, it, it's it's totally different. So it's like um, it's like um, a bit of a story of a musical story from the feelings you get when you're in certain circumstances in life. Like 
you know, have you been to Martinique ever? Yes, yes. Right, so one of them is called In Martinique. Okay. So I was in Martinique and I couldn't get through on the, on the phone to my wife and I was feeling pretty low and I got back to the cabin and wrote a song. And that song, basically, it, uh, Hugh Fowler has just taken it and it's exactly as a, it's a bit beatly, it's a bit, you know, Eleanor Rigby style, yes. with a, you know, with an obvious Beatle influence, but it's got the feel. You know, like a lot of people work abroad, like reps, and they, they're, they're spending sure. a week in a hotel, and they're looking at a photograph of the family, and they're basically lonely, even though they're successful. Yes. It, 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 it's aimed at that kind of thing. Okay, you know I mean? that sounds nice. And I look forward to that. When the night falls, and it's like, you know, if you can't sleep, and you've got things on your mind, and it's, it's a bit dark, you know. And then there's one called Dusty, which is obviously about Dusty Springfield. Okay, not Dusty Bin. <laughs> the stories, basically. And uh, I, I'm pleased with the outcome. And One Door Closes basically tells the story of, you know, I've been everywhere, uh, one door opens and one door closes. Yeah, yeah that's our business, isn't it? <laughs> and so... Uh, people can download your album or buy your album and your book. You've got a biography out as well, all on your website. Yeah, and uh, the, the World Watching book is all my paintings. Oh, nice. And and people can actually uh, book paintings. If they want to commission a painting, you'll do it di you know, for them direct, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, anything they want, I'll just do it. And uh, if they don't like it, they don't have to have it. <laughs> That's so nice. We'll send people your way, Morris, on, on the website. That'd be brilliant. And... Uh, if there was to be a like an anniversary of the Grumble Weeds, because I don't think they've done enough tributes to you guys, seeing as you had so much TV, you know, back then in the 80s, one of the biggest TV shows that we did have, uh, there should be an anniversary on television of you. W would you go back and do an anniversary, you know, if it was a one-off? It's very yeah, sad that Graham's I, not I, here. I but... object, but there'd only be... Oh, okay. Uh, I, know, I know Robin because he's working with James and yes. uh, they they basically are the Grumbleweeds by name, although, um, you know, it's, it's, it's at the Grumbleweeds and it was me and Robin and the other chap and Carl and Albert just stood at the back. I don't know how it would work. I think it's a very unlikely situation yeah. that we would be doing it. It wouldn't be an objection from my point of view, but I can't see it being a possibility purely and simply because of, well nobody's asked us for a kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I think yeah, I think something that should be put out there just to you know celebrate what you guys brought us back then because it was an incredible success uh, not just radio the tv show was it's what me and my family still talk about today you know and uh, so I want to thank you Morris well, bless Robin you. I'll be 76 or 77 I think Albert might be 78 yeah, you look really great. You, st you just still look 10 years younger, uh, most of you. So it's, oh, bless you, mate. It's incredible. Uh, before we go, Morris, do you have any words of wisdom for, from an entertainer of your stature for the younger upcoming performers? Any words of wisdom? Words of wisdom? Um, well, you've got to follow your dream, obviously. And I'm pretty certain that if you've got any, if you want to be in this business, You've got to be prepared to fail. And once you accept the fact that you can fail, then you will most likely uh, improve and 
don't feel as often. Fail as often. And you probably, if you fall in a hole, don't fall in the same hole again. <laughs> right. Remember that the hole and miss it. <laughs> and the only way you make make something of yourself is to remember these things. And everything you do is a natural response if it's in you. If it's not in you, then you'll soon know because you won't make the right moves. Definitely. If you're, if you're a natural entertainer, you'll survive. Are amazing, and you have, and it's so good to see you there. Not only your music and your jokes, but your paintings and, and your pure entertaining. Uh, Morris Grumbleweed, Morris Lee, thank you so much for being on Eyes and Teeth. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for uh, the interview. Um, uh, thanks to Peter, you know, and uh, good luck with everything you do. And uh, I hope that we meet up sometime, maybe on a ship. Many thanks to Morris Grumbleweed for his time today. If you want to connect with Morris, then go to Morris Grumbleweed on Facebook and take a look at his paintings and upcoming dates. Look on his website at www.morrisgrumbleweed.com. On Twitter, it's at MorrisGrumble1. Today's quote comes from BG's Barry Gibb. The secret is to make sure your family comes before anything else because no matter what you do, you've got to come home. Eyes and Teeth is written, produced and hosted by Steve Hewlett. Vocals by Lola, Larissa and Nina Hewlett. Additional vocals by Rich T. The Eyes and Teeth music and jingles are produced and performed by Kevin Dean. Join me on another Eyes and Teeth episode in season 11 when I talk to the hypnotising magic and comedy of Blackpool's favourite, Ken Webster.